What's up, guys, and welcome to Roots of Humanity. My name is Drew Binsky. I am a world traveler, content creator, and entrepreneur who has visited all 197 countries in the world. Every week, I sit down and have a conversation with an inspiring person about their cultural identity. It's a great way to celebrate the beauty and diversity that our planet has to offer. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get straight into it. I love Iran. I say this about a lot of countries, but I'm very serious when I say that Iran is one of my favorite places in the world. The people are so welcoming and so inspiring. This podcast was recorded three months before the protest for justice from Masa Amini, and I want the world to know that I stand for women's rights in Iran and all over the world. In episode 19 of Roots of Humanity, I talked to Upton Saidi from Southern California about his Iranian roots. Iran is not what you think, and Upton is on a mission to dismantle headlines and capture the reality. For me, the Persian culture was always associated with the best things. After quitting his job as a CNBC journalist in Hong Kong, Upton started his own path as a social media creator, and he shares with me tips and tricks when it comes to Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. On the topic of Iran, we talk about the revolution, the Iranian diaspora in the U.S., Tehran as a modern global city, the culture of the Kurdish people, speaking Farsi, food poisoning, and why Iran has no McDonald's or Starbucks. In addition, we express our solidarity with those currently protesting in Iran for justice for Masa Amini and women's rights. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with someone who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave us a review at some point in the episode so we know what you enjoyed the most. And with that all being said, let's dive right into it. Upton, what's up, my man? Hey, Drew. Good to see you. Where are you these days? I am in Bali. I think you and I have hung out in Bali before with your parents. And uh, yeah, Deanna, that was, that was a good memory. 2018? Yeah, it must have been 2018. Actually, it was January 2019, I think. No, it was January 2019. Like, yeah, over, over, yeah, early January 2019, maybe like January 3rd. So what's going on, bro? How's life? It's good. It's really good. I, I've been traveling a lot like you. And uh, so now I'm kind of just sticking around for a month or two in Bali and just excited to catch up on videos and film some stuff and yeah, seize the day. That's awesome, man. So we're gonna jump right into the thick of things. You just got back from Iran a few months ago, right? Yes, yes. I was there a few months before that. We almost coordinated, remember that? We almost had it working out, but then there were some delays and whatnot. But um, how many times have you been there? Uh, More than I can count. I would go every summer um, to see my grandparents and uh, my cousins, distant cousins. So I would go as a kid growing up every summer. And then lately it's been like every two or three years. That's awesome, dude. That's, I didn't know you, you went every summer growing up. That's, that's super cool. Do you have an Iranian passport? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's how you get in easily. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, let's back up a little bit. So tell me about where you grew up and how, how you kind of lived with a bunch of Iranians and what Iran meant to you as a kid. Growing up, it was always interesting because, you know, the U.S. and Iran have quite different cultures. But I think, you know, during the revolution, about said about a million to a two to a million and a half Iranians traveled to the U.S. They moved and lived there like my parents. So there's always like in every city you go, there's an Iranian community, there's an Iranian restaurant. And uh, so it's always been a special part of like growing up culturally for me. And uh, and that's one of the reasons, actually, that I love, you know, going 
uh, as often as I can because it's it's a it's a memory. It's of childhood. It's it's you know those like for me the culture the Persian culture was always associated with the best things right birthday parties um, you know celebrations <laughs> Noruz which is Persian New Year obviously and uh, and just family gatherings. So going to Iran and hearing just Farsi hearing Persian is very exciting because it's like you know it's all those strong positive associations that I have. And um, and I think one of the reasons, you know, that I love Lebanon actually is because Lebanon is to me very East meets West. It's like you have mm -hmm. the Middle Eastern culture, but they're all, you know, most Lebanese tend to be very globally minded. Many of them mm -hmm. are very well traveled. Many of them speak English. And so in a, uh, in a way, Lebanon is a mix of U.S. and uh, Iran for me because of the, the cultures of both. That's really fascinating, man. So in, in L.A., you grew up in L.A., don't they call that Tarantulas? Yes, yes, they do, yeah. Because there's like the more Iranians there than any other place in the world outside of Iran, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The most amount of Iranians outside of Iran are located in like Southern California. Did you speak Farsi growing up or did your parents teach you English or both? No, I mean, it was mostly English in the house, but Farsi became a, like a second language and it was largely to communicate with my grandparents who had very limited English skills. And they live in Iran or the U.S.? My grandparents live um, between Iran and the U.S. So, you know, some of them just in Iran, some of them just in the U.S., some kind of migrated over over the course of my upbringing in the U.S. Um, but what was interesting is the ones that moved to, like, you know, Los Angeles, well, all my grandparents moved to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and there's such a big Iranian community in Los Angeles there are places where you can go, and I'm sure you've seen this, Drew, where you just see Persian writing everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to learn English. I mean, you should, as an, as an, mm -hmm. as an American, I believe, you know, everyone should learn a little English. But, um, but you don't need to, and I could see how at their age they were never, you know, you know, they did take English classes, actually, and they did their best to assimilate, but at the same time, like, it wasn't necessary. They still had their friends. They were able to have entertainment and community all without... Um, without like having to learn English whilst in the US. Yeah, there's one place in, in Tehran that's, it's like Persian Square or whatever, but there's like a cafe where these old men are playing backgammon and drinking the tea, and it's mm -hmm. literally exactly like Iran. Like there's no mm -hmm. difference. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> How does it make you feel that politically like the US and Iran are such enemies? Because obviously, you know my thoughts, I've been to Iran twice, I love it, I've spoken very highly about it in my videos, and I can't wait to go back. But it's just like you are you're kind of in both mindsets. You're American, you grew up in the US, but also you're very Persian at the same time. So how does it make you feel when you see the headlines in the newspapers that are like just shitting on Iran? I think Iran is the most misunderstood country. And I feel like you would agree with me on that because uh, it is such a kind of headlines versus reality situation. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I see how it happens politically. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of tension between between the countries, um, which is very unfortunate. And I, you know, I'm always rooting for like, a, you know, cooperation and uh, another deal and things like that. Um, but I think the best thing to do about that is is do what we're doing, people like you and I, where we're creating videos, where we're, we're introducing the world to real people. And some of the most rewarding comments that I get as a content creator are, wow, I never imagined this place being like mm -hmm. that. And it's especially rewarding when it comes to Iran because, you know, obviously I have that personal connection there. Yeah, that's the beauty of creating content and going places that people are too scared to visit because of what they hear on the media. 
and realizing that they're amazing, like Afghanistan, like Syria. I'm sure you would go to those countries if you could. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Could you? I would love to. Could you go there with your um, own passport? Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. I don't yeah. think you could go to Saudi Arabia, can you? Oh, you, dude, we met. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, Saudi Arabia with the U.S. and then, like, Syria with the Iran, so, yeah. It <laughs> just depends who's friends with you. So, for viewers out there, Upton actually was there when I finished my last country, which was Saudi Arabia. He was waiting for me in the Jeddah airport with a big Saudi flag, and we spent a couple of days there together. It was like less than a year ago. Yeah, yeah, last October, yeah. Like that was October. Months. So clearly you can visit Saudi Arabia. Um, but no, like, making videos, man, it's really the best thing because you just get to go places and see the other side. Um, Iran really is one of the, I think it's one of the safest countries in the Middle East. There's a stat, there's like, there's been no terrorist attacks or shootings in Iran in like a decade, or like there's been like only like one. Mm. And it's, it's really safe, man. You walk around Iran, they're so hospitable, they're so friendly and... It, I mean, it's unfortunate that so many people are misunderstanding that, you know, that they, they don't, they're not, like, especially in the West, they're not able to, to really decipher the difference when it comes to safety and security between so many different countries in the Middle East. Yeah, and exactly. And the food in Iran, um, I think it's fantastic, although it's kind of repetitive because you have the same ingredients. The way I think about it is like Mexican food. You have like tacos, quesadillas, all these other things, and it's all the same ingredients. And Iran, the food is so good, but after like the fourth day, every time I'm there, I get really sick. I get really sick. Do you get it too? Food poisoning? No, never. I've never gotten sick. <laughs> That's because you have the Persian stomach. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, what are your favorite places to visit in Iran? Well, I love Tehran. At the end of the day, like I'm a city kind of guy. I lived in New York and L.A. And so I, I love Tehran. I think if someone has a limited time, you know, we probably would disagree on this, but I would say go to Tehran because that's where you see the most modern facets of the country and the culture. And in terms of design, architecture, people, fashion, all of that. So I, I love Tehran. Um, and then obviously Esfahan is, is you know, as they say, it's, it's half the, as the saying goes, Esfahan is, is equivalent to half the world. There's a famous saying um, that they say, which would be Esfahan, Nesfa Jahan, which is Esfahan is half of the world. And so that city is so beautiful. And I'm lucky that I have relatives there, a lot of relatives in Esfahan, because it makes the experience that much more unique. But between the architecture and the history and the bridges and the bazaar, it's just really such a beautiful place to go. Yeah, I remember Esfahan, Nesfah Jahan, when I was there, my tour guide, Amin, told me that. But Esfahan is so special because it's the second largest city square in the world behind Tiananmen Square in Beijing. Did you know that? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. No. You know the city square that I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. massive. There's like courtyards. There's kids playing games in the park yeah, and the grass. It's so there's, beautiful. It's, there's all these beautiful mosques around it. And there's actually a Jewish quarter in Esfahan, too, which is interesting, which, which I checked out. But I think Esfahan's fantastic. Did you go to Shiraz? Um, I went to Shiraz as a kid. It's really top of my list to go uh, again. But yeah, I think one thing that, that are great about your videos as well is like exposing different parts of Iran, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, I think the 17th largest country by population. Yeah. And so you have such different types of people, even religions. And I went for the first time to the, the Kurdish region, the Kurdish, the Kurdish province mm -hmm. of Iran, which was really beautiful. Um, met so many amazing people, went to a Kurdish wedding, which was in Iran. And as an Iranian, you know, it's like, so interesting to say, wow, this is a completely different culture 
Uh, of course, they're all speaking Farsi, and there's a lot of similarities, and they're serving Iranian food, but they have their own beautiful, unique traditions that you would never see at, like, a wedding, you know, in Tehran. So this is a Kurdish, you know, uh, wedding in, in, the Iran, in, in Iran, of course. And then you've gone to the south, where I've never been. You've exposed a lot of unique people <laughs> and customs and traditions down there. So, so you know, that's kind of what m makes makes it cool. And I think it excites me to see more and more travelers. I'm not sure how many you saw, but I saw a decent amount of foreigners visiting from Europe, uh, which was really cool. Um, and, and time and time again, people say like, yeah, I came here because it's so unique. It's so much different than another country, you know? There's no McDonald's, there's no Starbucks, there's no Hilton's yeah, or Marriott. That's what I always tell people. And that's a really cool thing. That's, that's yeah, my line. Yeah. I say there's no McDonald's, no Starbucks, no Uber. Everything is like locally <laughs> made, locally produced and locally sold. Which is cool. Yeah, so true. Um, I want to say a note about the Kurdish people of Iran. So Kurdistan is a, pro is a place that many people have maybe heard of but don't know. So it's the largest ethnic group without a country. There's like 30 million Kurds in the world. And they live uh, mostly between, or they live between Iraq, Iran, Turkey, and Syria. I think most of them are in Iraq and Iran. A smaller part of Syria and a smaller part of, actually, the Turkish Kurds are, is, is a big population. I've, I've spent some time there. But... It's so sad, A, because they all want to, like, have their own independence and they all, you know, because culturally, I think you would agree culturally the Kurds of Iran are different than other Iranians. They speak different language and stuff. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a mix. There's a lot of Iranian culture. Like, when I was there, they, at the wedding, they were eating Iranian food. Mm. Um, they were speaking Persian. So it oh, just depends on, you know, which country. Yeah, yeah. But it was a Kurdish, uh, you know, they have their own customs in terms of clothes and cultures. But so, yeah, it just kind of depends on which which country with. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful culture. I went to Iraq's Kurdistan and obviously it's the, the culture is more prevalent yeah. there. And um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, they have their own flag in Iraqi Kurdistan. Did you notice a different flag in Iran Kurdistan or mm -hmm. no? You did? No, no, um, no, I don't think so. That could be one of the big differences. But Iran's so diverse, man. I went to Chabahar, which is in Balochistan. Have you heard of that place? No, I think from your videos. <laughs> so it's like 10 minute drive from Pakistan border and literally the people speak uh, a Pakistan dialect, Urdu, a, a form of Urdu. They dress like Pakistanis, they eat like Pakistanis, but you're in Iran. It's the biggest mind <laughs> traveling in Chabahar and being like, is this Iran or is wow. this Pakistan? It's so funny. I think I met some people in um, while sightseeing in the in the in Sananjad is the name of the city, and I saw people dressed like that. So even me, it's very uh, fascinating to see uh, to see that you know while I'm in Iran. One of the reasons why Iran is just the best country in the world, aside from hospitality, is that you are literally located in a place where the Silk Road crossed where the birthplace of the oldest religion occurred, which is called Zoroastrian, which is a whole, you could do a whole deep dive into Zoroastrian. I'm sure some of your family members were Zoroastrians, maybe, who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> At some point, like 2000 years ago, like most of Iranians were Zoroastrians, which is a, a beautiful, peaceful religion. They have like fire temples and they believe in like, I don't know, there's a city in Iran called Yazd, where Zoroastrian mm. comes from, and you can hike this outdoor temple thing and they believe that like birds eat the carcasses of, of your skin when you die. That's what they that's what they think. Wow. And there's like this fire temple where the fire has never stopped burning in like three thousand years. You know, Freddie Mercury was Zoroastrian, so he kinda brought that religion to to the international mm. scale. Um, 
But yeah, traveling in Iran, I mean, as I'm talking about it, I'm just dreaming of going back. And we should probably do a trip together to <laughs> Iran. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to go to Tabriz. Have you been there? No, never been to Tabriz, but also it's, on my list. It's in the northeast, which is close to the Turkmenistan border. Um, so speaking of Turkmenistan and, and other countries, wh what's kind of on your radar? I know you're also flying around the world making videos, um, which is really inspiring. Dude, I remember we were on a call two years ago when I was in Mexico. It was like exactly two years ago. And you were like, I think I'm going to start making videos. I think I'm going to like do this for a living. And you quit CNN, your CNN gig in Hong Kong. and Or sorry, you quit your CNBC, CNBC. gig in Hong yeah. Kong. And um, dude, what, how many views do you have? Like over a billion? Maybe, yeah, probably. I, I haven't counted by views, but yeah, it's grown like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I remember that call was, yeah, September 2020. And you encouraged me, so yeah. So how, how does it feel now? You're like, you've done in two years what I did in seven years. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Thank you, man. No, it's been um, it's been a ex really exciting journey. I, I mean, I'm lucky that I started to travel. I only started to travel like early in 2021 as some COVID restrictions were easing. But COVID, as you know, is still like a big <laughs> part of, you know, restrictions in most of the world. So it's a bit challenging, but it's been a really exciting journey of being able to tell my own stories, connect with my own audience, do whatever I want. And I think what I decided to do is like really niche down in, in tech and money and economics. Yeah because I felt like a that's a passion of mine and B there's a there's a that's a kind of an underserved segment when it comes to YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. So so I've just really been focused on those kinds of videos and the cool thing is you can go to any country and there's always a money story. Everything involves money. 100%. I, I started with all my budget videos and I still I just filmed another one. Mm. I'm trying to bring them back a little bit cuz people love that stuff. Um how big is your team mm -hmm. now? Um I have two full-timers and then about five part-timers. Um, I, I don't want to like get too big because I don't want to get into that level of just like management management and like you know assembly line of videos. I want to just like you know I still edit plenty of my own videos because I just love the process of it. So yeah. Are your full timers editors or camera guys or and the five part timers? Yeah, one is they're both in Bali actually. So one is a full time editor and um, camera guy as well. He shoots on DSLR. And then the other one is um, like project manager, helps with uh, thumbnails, some graphics, uh, a lot of producing, pre-producing, things like that, planning, planning of shoots. And your five part-timers? And then also like working with brands as well. Mm -hmm. And then the part-timers are extra editing support. Um, they're all just working on extra editing support or scripting or helping with some of that. Uh, you know, YouTube management, engagement, things like that. So how do you feel about YouTube? I know that you, you started on Facebook and TikTok. So are you trying to cross bridges into YouTube or do you neglect YouTube? Or I'm just curious because I, I think about this stuff all the time. Yeah, no, I, ne I never neglected YouTube. It was always just like, okay, this is going to grow the slowest. I think every creator goes through that. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe not every creator, but for me it was certainly the case. And now I'm looking toward a you know, passing the hundred, the coveted hundred K <laughs> subs on YouTube. Um, so, so what I do is I do like a video for YouTube every, you know, maybe one to two per week, and then I'll splice them up for Facebook and then splice them up even in thinner slices for, for TikTok. So I think YouTube is, is really important. I just launched my YouTube shorts channel, um, you know, because, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities right now on YouTube shorts. Um, but I think I love I love both. I love the ability to share a quick story in less than a minute. And then I love the ability to share like these longer form 10, 20 minute videos through like almost documentary uh -huh. style. 
It's pretty much the same here. I'm doing YouTube first, and then I have a team cutting up the Facebook and TikTok. I actually, I wanted to talk to you about this. Um, I have a TikTok guy who's, basically I gave him my iCloud, like I just sent him in bulk, like a bunch of videos, like going back to my old trips, mm -hmm. like Iraq and Iran. So he's now going through and finding all these gems, and he's cutting them together mm. for like, 10 to 20 second videos. By the way, I look at you as my TikTok specialist, as you know, so I'm giving people context. <laughs> Do you think it's a good idea to have him, to have him, uh, like, he, he's putting them on frame and I'm reviewing him, and then when I approve, should I be uploading them to TikTok or should I give him my password or do you think that's a bad idea? It doesn't really matter if it's uploaded by you or him. I think um, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter. I mean, it kind of depends on uh, where he is because I think about like the, in, you know, your, your a video when it's first posted will be shown to your followers, but they'll also be shown on the For You page to mm -hmm. people within that region. So if he's in a country that you're, you want audience or views from, then he should post. If he's not, then you should post, you know. But well, if, you, if you don't care that much and views are views and growth is growth, then it doesn't matter. I would have him post um, just to save you time. He's in Spain, but I'm in Prague right now. So like, should I VPN it so I'm in the US or should, because if I post in Prague, I probably, I don't know if I want Span Spaniards or Czech more than Americans. I don't know the answer to that. So we tried actually with VPNs and TikTok is like <laughs> seemingly really good at knowing like don't know but you're in Prague. So <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with VPNs per se. Um, I, I don't think it Matt, makes I don't think there's enough data to support like a strategy one way or the other, like whether it's you or him. Um, and try both, you know, like maybe he posts to you post to and then see where the the views on the FYP are coming from and see if, if it's correct, right? Like maybe maybe it's just going throughout Europe either way. But if it's like 70% are coming from Spain, um, you know, you're like, okay, maybe that's not the, the audience that right. are trying to really grow on TikTok. Thanks for the advice, dude. You're, you're, you're always on the TikTok game where I just pretty much open the app and post. I've never scrolled TikTok ever to like see who's, I'm not even following, I don't even know who I'm following. I just, but I, I know that it's <laughs> yeah. so important. It's, it's probably the most important platform right now for future. You think it is? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, if you look at the way it's growing, it's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's easy to grow fast and growing fast is good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I don't think, I think like personally, I, I remember in 2014, people were like, oh my God, is Facebook dead? Is face like at CNBC, they were saying it. And now you look at Facebook, you know, 2014. So that's what, eight years later, and it still has like, what is it? 2 billion daily active users. I mean, you know, it's been around, but it's, it's, it's still very, very much used. So I think, I don't know. I, I like personally, I don't see TikTok taking away market share from like YouTube and, and Facebook, but maybe it's taking away from Netflix or people reading books or, you know, or people talking to each other, whatever it is. But I, I don't know. I personally can't say like, I don't, I honestly don't prioritize one over the other, I would say. I really admire that your team is only a few people because I've, <clears throat> I've scaled quite a bit and I haven't really talked about mm -hmm. this in public unless people are on my email newsletter, I talk about it sometimes, but I have like, I don't even know how many full-timers, like nine. Well, because wow. I, I have several YouTube channels now, so if I want to have mm. a second channel, I need a full-time editor. I can't just assign my main channel editor to my second channel because it's a whole other edit. And now I have a project manager who's a production manager who's really helpful. He helps me with video ideas, scripting, and he reviews cuts before they mm. come to me. And I kind of, I still review mm. the cuts, but I don't edit anymore. The final but idea. I feel like mm. I may have 
scale too fast because I'm now spending a lot of my time managing my team and that's taking away time mm. for me to go create. So I'm in a, I'm in a tough position. I'm, I've been in a transition phase. I think I, I like the team that I've hired, but I'm spending a lot of money per month. So I guess it just comes down to like efficiency, right? And I still want to be able to go out and create content, but the post-production part, like I edited for six years and now I can't open up Premiere anymore. I think you'll hit that point where you're just like, I can't do it anymore, the editing. You haven't hit that yet? Interesting, yeah. No, not at all. But I mean, six years is, is a while. I'd never, yeah. And I don't know, like, it. yeah, I don't know. You're right, I will probably will hit that point. But but yeah, for now, I there's some videos when I'm filming, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to edit this one and I'm so excited to edit. How many hours does it take on average? Oh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot, but... Um, it just depends. I mean, you know, some videos could be 12 minutes. Yeah, some could be some could be as short as like four hours. Some could be maybe 20 hours. I've wor I worked on a video that was over 20 hours. That was probably my longest of the year. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I see like other content creators that are way more established, and I'm I'm like, okay, you know, it's like I think so many times it's it's about like, okay, how do I maximize you know audience and revenue, and I I'm. And I fall into that a lot. And you need to, right? For livelihood, you need to be asking those questions. But, and it's not to say I don't want to. I definitely do. But I just maybe I, I want to be more conservative. Because as we know, the algorithms are so fickle. You have two amazing months and you have a bad month. And I, I'm worried about the stress of like with cash flow, you know, if I, if I go in over my head with, with teammates and stuff. Yeah, how's it? I remember like six months ago, your Facebook completely slammed in a good way. So I don't know if slammed means bad or good. Your Facebook was crushing. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was breaking numbers that I'd ever seen that pretty much anybody else has ever seen. How's it doing now? Uh, it's, it's tapered off a lot, but it's, it's still quite good. It's still like, you know, a Facebook can make between twenty and $40,000 mm -hmm. a yeah. month. Yeah, it's like once you, you, I, you know, I had a six-figure month in January. Um, which is amazing, crazy, it blew my mind. It still blows my mind. Um, you know, so so it's but but then it's like okay, I'm still you know very fortunate that we have these platforms that can pay this kind of money that can support me and a team to to, to make more videos. I mean, just Facebook alone could support all your travels and your team. But the scary thing is, my Facebook got hacked, you know, a year and a half ago, and I lost three months of revenue, which was 90k. I never got it back. So just if anything can happen man it's a wild world of content so what's next for you bro so i'm in indonesia now gonna film in jakarta i'm gonna uh film in singapore next month and that's it i don't i don't plan out too much in general i try to like just you know not over plan because as you know there's already so much on our minds with the footage that we want to edit what we're filming this week and what we're filming next week so i i don't have capacity to film much i do want to get out to japan Same. um I miss that country, and I think it's going to be great for, for storytelling. So Japan is definitely top of my list right now. Maybe Thailand, but we'll see. Definitely Japan is I'm is going to be in list. Asia for like two or three weeks in October. You're still going to be in Asia then? Pro I don't know yet. I don't know. Probably I'll make my way to Dubai, but, um, but I don't know yet. Um, all I know is like Bali for a month, <laughs> and then we'll see. But yeah, do you know what parts of Asia you're going to be in? Yeah, Taiwan, Hong Kong, if it's open. Um, and Vietnam and Philippines, those four countries. Oh, nice. Hong Kong, do you have s specific stuff to shoot or just? Yeah, I'm working with the tourism board on a campaign, but I don't even think the country's open right now. So today they just announced that they're gonna reduce uh, seven day hotel quarantine to three day. 
and uh, which is still pretty ridiculous. And then it's so it's three day hotel quarantine and then four day uh, monitoring you like as you walk around Hong Kong. Forget so, it. So yeah, the comments on the article I just saw were pretty like skeptical. <laughs> but, Dude, three yeah. days of quarantine is like jail. I could shoot another, two other videos in three days. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite shocking that in, you know, in summer 2022 they they still require that. It's really shocking. When you enter like Japan or whatever, do you know what you're going to shoot before you enter, or do you just kind of wing it? A mix. I usually have an idea, but um, but you know, you, you like you know, like you got to talk to people and see where the real stories are. Um, and then sometimes you have an idea, and they just like I went to Berlin's um, Arab Street, this Arab area where like a lot of Syrian refugees are moving and it was in Berlin and you know I had all these ideas of my mind but it didn't pan out the way I wanted I didn't get as many interviews or people that were willing to talk or you know it wasn't it was just a little bit less uh, unique mm -hmm. than I was hoping and expecting um, and you know sometimes it's luck of the draw sometimes it's planning right I probably could have planned a bit more found more unique stories out there reached out to more people on Instagram in advance to show me around so, yeah, it's, it's a mix. Sometimes you get really lucky, I think, as you see in your experience. You get really lucky and just find an amazing story. Yeah, I think having a local friend is tremendously helpful. And anytime I don't have one, it becomes super hard to make stories. But if, you, if someone from the community reached out and took you around, game changer. You know that. Yeah, so true. Yeah, from like not just logistics, but more importantly, like the story, you know, getting to talk to them and hear what's happening it's so true and it, it's it's a more unique travel experience for anyone even if you're not a content creator so yeah what's your favorite video you've made all time i don't know the first one that comes to mind was amazon go mm -hmm. store uh, that i filmed and it was just it went crazy viral and it was just like so cool to see the the reaction of people commenting like this is going to take away jobs or this is really cool or this is the future just to kind of showcase you know what the future could be like and to be able to say like, oh, I just filmed that on my iPhone as like a shopper. You know, I didn't work with their co yeah. communication team or PR team or, you know, marketing team. It was just on my own as a shopper. And to see like, I think it was very revealing like, oh, the power we can have as content creators, you know. And, and what was crazy is the technology, the store had been open for four years. It wasn't even new, <laughs> you know. Um, but it just goes to show that like, I think if you tell a story right, it can it can really get a lot of traction and and get a lot of people to, to watch. 100% man. Um, you mentioned Dubai, that's kind of been your home base for the last year or two, right? Yeah, so I registered my, my business, my entity in Dubai. I think Dubai is a really great place to be based. For one, they have a lot of uh, incentives around content creation. You're meeting a lot of content creators, you're meeting a lot of just a lot of dynamic people who decided to move there, um, or are from there, of course. And, uh, and, and I feel like people who live in Dubai, and Dubai as a, as a brand, as a city, kind of, you know, is, is never, never accepts the status quo. They always want things to mm -hmm. be bigger, better, easier, faster richer you know um and and that's cool it's cool to be in a place where people are constantly questioning things and pushing pushing the boundaries on things did you get that 10-year golden visa no no i just have a three-year visa through my through my company um actually deanna and i are thinking about moving to dubai like next year that's why i'm asking it's a great hub for travel um but she's she has a green card and she can get her passport in two years and she, she there's rules of like she can't be out of the US, a US passport. like for more mm -hmm. than half of the days. So if we move to Dubai, we can't mm -hmm. stay more than a, like we could stay like three or four months, which it would be fine. We go in the winter. I think it would be okay. We can't stay for like a year until she gets her passport. 
So she would have to do like six months in the U.S. and then maybe three, four months Dubai and then travel the rest, I see. Um, so we're currently living in Europe and it's great. We're in Prague, it's amazing. Um, but we'll be back in the U.S. soon. Um, but yeah, dude, when do we, so we've seen each other, let's try to remember it right now. We've seen each, we've seen each other right. in the Philippines, <laughs> in Indonesia, in Dubai, in New York, in L.A., in, there's like three more. Saudi. Saudi, Saudi and Mexico, Mexico City. City. Yep. There's, I know there's more, man. <laughs> I want to say Beirut, but I don't think I say Beirut. No, we love, we both love Beirut. Is there any other places? I think you got them all. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man, how we've remained so close, but we've only seen each other like 10 times. No, probably more than 10 times, maybe like 15, 20 times. Um, yeah. You're coming to our wedding, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> it's on the list. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Good stuff, man. Um, <laughs> This has been a really fun chat, you know, talking about Iran, talking about content creation. We have so many similar circles and very similar mindsets in our journeys. Um, how, how can people follow you? So at Upton on, on pretty much all the platforms, I was able to have a weird name and got the, got the handle. So yeah, making videos about tech and money and cultures. Not only that, but I think that the coolest thing about your name and your situation is that your Gmail is upstairs at gmail.com. That is, I <laughs> gave it away. I'll yeah. cut that. I'll cut that part. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's anyone can email me. It's not a bit emails out there at nowadays. Yeah. The fact that your email is upstairs at gmail.com, you could probably sell that for ten to twenty thousand dollars. I'm sure somebody would buy that, like a company or dude. That's like, that's like having like Tom at gmail.com. Like it's such a normal word. <laughs> It's funny when you like you check out at a store and you know they're trying to get your email for you know to, to spam you with marketing emails. They always ask me my email and I'm, I say upstairs at gmail.com and they kind of just assume I'm lying. I'm just giving a fake email, so I'm always like, no, it's it's really That's my so email. So funny, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I got that one early on. <laughs> Upton, it's been such a great time catching up, dude. Thank you for your time and uh, looking forward to seeing you. Probably soon in either Vietnam or Dubai or somewhere. Yes, maybe Hong Kong. <laughs> All right, bro, take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with somebody who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Every week, I'm going to be looking through them and highlighting my favorite one. And with that all being said, I will see you guys next week. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.